on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. Hey, it's Tuesday morning. Told you. Going to get this to producer Jordan early. It's actually Monday night as I record right now. Very late. I'm in the office. I'm all by myself. Probably going to be a pretty loose recording. Could go grab the guitar at any moment. In fact, I think I will to chime us from one question to the next. Remind me to tell you something about that in a second. As I'm telling you, listening 12 to 24 hours later to remind me of something. But a reminder in real time how this works. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. A lot of you are new. We're gaining hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new listeners every episode. So the way this works is on Tuesday and Thursday morning, for the time being at least, I do a Q&A wall-to-wall mailbag episode. Last night on Twitter, if you're listening on Tuesday, I put out the call to action. I said, give me those questions. And boy, did you guys follow through. So we've got a ton right now. But if you want to hit me with a question, joshpate706 at gmail.com. Or you can follow and then submit a question on Twitter and Instagram at Late Kick Josh. And when I say we're loaded, I mean we're loaded. But I told you, remind me of something. I'm going to pretend you guys just did. You're driving around in Walla Walla, Washington. Yes, I know where that is. And you said, hey, here's your reminder. Thank you. All our friends in Walla Walla and around the world. So the other week, remember when I asked you guys, should I buy a soundboard for the show? This is what makes our podcast and our show when we do it Late Kick Live on YouTube very different. I tell you it's your show. Well, here's the proof. I was already convinced I was going to buy a soundboard. A soundboard, for those unfamiliar, is basically how you add little sound effects and transition elements into a podcast. And I was going to buy one because I've heard other podcasts use them. I mean, I didn't have any feel one way or the other. I just thought, oh, that'll be something cool to try out. But since it's your show, I asked you, what do you think? I cannot stress enough to you how negative the feedback was. And a lot of you were passionate about it. It wasn't just Hey, I would like to vote no, please, and thank you. Some of you all but threatened to hurl yourself into oncoming traffic if I go and buy a soundboard and start, start. Um, I'm not going to use the language you guys did, but infiltrating this clean, pristine product right now with manufactured nonsense. So my vow to you, I have heard you loud and clear. Soundboard idea in the trash. We will proceed as organically as possible. But mark my words, every time I'm in this studio... And that guitar is sitting over here in the corner, and I'm looking at it. I'm using this guitar. So this is as close as we're getting to a soundboard. You're just going to have to deal with it. I have to let the music escape me. It's deep in me. i got to let it escape somehow. And since I don't perform here down on Broadway in Nashville ever, this is my only shot. Here we go. You ready? Mm, Nothing like performing before a live audience, let me tell you. So the abominable Billy leads us off this morning. Yes, the abominable Billy would like to know I hope this is the right place for the mailbag question. It is, Billy. Have you noticed Texas' first seven games? They got Louisiana. They upset Iowa State in week one last year. They go to Arkansas. Going to be a tough environment. Arkansas, first full stadium in forever. Then they got Rice. Then Texas Tech. They went to overtime with them last year. Then they go to TCU. They lost to them last year. They play Oklahoma. Ditto. And then they've got Oklahoma State, another overtime game last year. I know you've spoken about the first two games and the quarterback battle. 
Factoring that and potentially more spirited-than-usual conference battles due to the realignment news, could significant damage be done to Sark's reign before it really even starts? What chaos could be created by a 2-5 and five start? Well, it would be ugly. It would be ugly. It's not something I expect, but certainly, as we just noted here, all of these games are losable games. Aside from the Rice game, theoretically, all these are losable. They're all winnable, too. That's the good news, so it depends on which side of the coin you want to look at. Now, because you're not established at quarterback, because this program just does not have firm footing under it yet, I would think it's reasonable to expect a mixture of good and bad here. That probably means a mixture of wins and losses. A 2-5 and five start would be catastrophic, but at the same time, what are we really talking about here? If you're a Texas fan or otherwise, what are we really talking about? What would catastrophic be? Well, it would be bad for the season. It wouldn't be like Sark's job's going to be in jeopardy. I wouldn't think. Um, yeah, I wouldn't think so. But look, this is a good team, and we all know it's a good team. They know out there at Texas, it's a good team he's inheriting. So you can't be starting 2-5. and five. You absolutely can't do that. What it can do is burn a lot of the leash you have, and it also, and this was what would be very bad, the, the talking point about a Texas head coach is always, does he have full control of the program? You will not have Steve Sarkeesian with full control of that program if they start disastrously. You just won't. He will not have the equity built up around that program to fully do things his way. Now, what does that mean? That's a big, broad statement. What does it mean? I can't give you particulars because we can't know what goes on inner working style at Texas, but this is not unique to Texas. Maybe it in some cases, is unique with certain situations. But this is the same thing that would happen if Nick Saban were to retire after this year and a new coach comes in and Alabama starts 4-3. and three. You think that guy's walking through the Malmore Athletic Facility with full freedom to do whatever he wants to do? No, absolutely not. He'd feel 15 sets of eyeballs staring him down from the administration, and that's how it would be for Sark. And that is what the biggest deterrent would be if they started below 500 going into that bye week. Yeah, that would be a bad thing. All let's just get this up here like this. You know, it would be a crying shame if I broke this E-string two questions into a podcast. I don't even know if I could continue. But so far, so good. Richard hits us up next. What is some of the best stuff you see if you're covering a game that I don't get to see from the stands or from my couch? Love this question. One of my favorite things to talk about, the stuff you guys don't get to see. It's why I encourage you follow Twitter and Instagram at LateKickJosh. Understand what my falls are like. This is awesome. I mean, this is the pinnacle of awesomeness. When they pay you to go to football games, that, there is no such thing as heaven on earth. But if you want to come as close as you can to replicating it for a college football fan, that's it. Very surreal. I've never gotten used to that concept. It always amazes me. Just freaks me out when I'm able to do this. Here's my vantage point. Uh, we are in a different town every weekend. We're, we're on the road every weekend. And so I will be largely at the biggest games in the country. And I am on the field or in the press box for every one of those games. I kind of differ week to week. Sometimes if, if there are multiple big games going on, I kind of find it that it's advantageous to be in the press box because when you're on the field, it's obviously a very incredible vantage point, but you're so out of touch with what else is going on. And it gets really hard if you're flying back the next morning, it gets really hard to get yourself caught up because we're traveling and doing the show same day on Sunday. That's not complaining. I'm just saying it's really hard to do a show to the standard we want to do it if I haven't been able to watch some games. So anyway, but the vantage point's awesome because we're in the stadium before it's open to the public. We're in there long after it closes. You get to see press conferences. I'm on the field for some of the game anyway. 
but I have the iJosh with me and I can show you guys as much as I can, as much as I'm allowed to, what I get to see. It's incredible. It's one of my favorite things to do. So I would encourage you, be following that Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. But Richard, back to your question, one of my favorite aspects is just what I kind of said there. Getting in the building before it's open to the public and before teams have arrived. And then when those teams arrive, most of the time it's about two hours before kickoff, but some teams, LSU chooses to arrive well after that. You almost feel like they're arriving late. I remember when they were playing Bama a couple of years ago, I wasn't familiar with LSU's road routine under O. They don't get to the stadium two hours before kickoff. They wait until like an hour and a half before kickoff, so I thought they were late. Now, in reality, they were doing things the way they wanted to, and they went in there and beat Alabama, so it worked. But it's really fun to be in there in sort of a calm before the storm. It's really fun when they'll get there. The the head coaches, to give you an idea of how this works, head coaches will get off the bus and they'll go right into the stadium. They'll check it out. They'll be checking for wind. What's the grass conditions? A lot of times in some of the bigger games, I won't mention any names, some places to gain an advantage, they will soak their field the night before. So the first thing those training staffs are doing is they're going out on the field and they're deciding which cleats they're going to use for the team. I mean, this is something you would never see unless you were actually standing on that field before they opened it to the public. And so they've got in those training equipment haulers that they bring on the road, they've got different length of cleat. And the way those cleats work is they, they are screw-ons. And so instead of changing out the entire shoe, they'll just change out the cleat attachment on the bottom. Sometimes they'll use fourth inch, sixth inch, eighth inch. I don't know what the measurements are, but they'll go out there and find out if the field's soaked. If it's soaked, they want the longer cleat. If it's not, they're good to go. That's one of the first things that you always notice training staffs do. Second thing is the head coach has to go off and do a lot of media availability. He'll probably do an appearance that he is contractually mandated to do for the coaches show. But the assistant coaches, they've got a little 30, 45 minute window there where they don't really have to do much. And they'll come out and they'll just walk around. It's some of the best access that you will get to assistant coaches. I mean, I'll stand there. I specifically get to stadiums early for two things. Number one, I want to see team arrivals because it's some awesome footage. And it's a really incredible scene depending on which stadium you're in because sometimes there's fan interaction. And number two, you get to talk to coaches. and They don't have anything else to do. And it's so, it's so weird because they're about to go into battle, but there's such a peace and such a calm because they know hay's in the barn. We're not doing any work today. We are going to put the work on the field today. But right now, if I'm a defensive line coach, we just got here. We're not coming out for warm-ups and stretch and stride for another 30, 45 minutes. I'm just going to go out here. Some of them sit on their phone. Some of them just walk around. Some of them don't even come out at all. But it's really interesting to see that. So that feeling, that calm before the storm, on their side, you know, they've, they've put all the work in during the week. On my side, we've done multiple shows during the week. There's nothing else to talk about. There's nothing else to rep or practice. And you got that 30 or 45-minute window before the crowd starts to fill in, but the teams are already there. Love that. It's a really strange serenity, given all the chaos that's about to ensue. And then when you're on the field in a college football game, especially covering what I grew up covering down in the SEC, the collisions stand out. Some of them are so hard you get a concussion off of it, kind of like a shotgun blast. I've talked about that before. Really amazing. The hardest hits, you can feel them, like a little thump to your chest, you feel it. But the intensity on the field in some of these bigger stadiums. You would also find this at Ohio State or Penn State. You would find this at Autzen out at Oregon. Uh, you would find this at Texas, at Oklahoma. It is surreal to be on the field and to, to witness a road team when they're able to come in and they're able to function. You know, they work on it all the time. They work on silent all the time. So they make it look easy. 
If you could ever stand down on the field, if you could be on the field in Baton Rouge when Alabama's in there, or if I took you up to South Carolina even, very underrated home venue when Georgia comes in there, it would fascinate you that those road teams are able to function because it's such an overload. It's such a sensory overload. A normal human being is not used to experiencing that. You're not used to experiencing that kind of decibel level, and you're having to think. You're having to critically think. You're having to make high-level decisions both as a coach and as a player And it's kind of like if something's happening to you, picture yourself being on the road. This is the best way I can equate it for a normal person. If you're out on the road and you got the radio turned all the way up and then there's all of a sudden a lot of traffic around you, a lot's going on at the same time, or you're coming up on a wreck, the first thing you do is what? You start slowing down, but you turn that noise down. Now imagine if you saw that same situation unfolding before you, but you had to maintain the same speed and you could not touch the volume knob. That is a very, very small microcosm of what it's like watching these road teams operate in these environments. It is never easy. In this sport, it is never easy to go on the road. It's why I don't care if you were favored by 11 points or not. When you go on the road in those primetime environments, I'm always impressed. When you can operate efficiently and you can get the job done. After the games, though, this is when, to me, I get my work done. And a lot of times I'm at the bigger games that are later in the day, and I don't even bother trying to leave these stadiums. If I'm, for example, at Florida and you got a night game, let's say you got LSU in there and it's nighttime, I'm going to go to postgame pressers and then I actually take myself with a couple of laptops and I go sit out in the stands. I don't even go up to the press box. If the weather's even decent, I just go sit out in the stands, probably in one of your season ticket cushion chairs, and I take a couple laptops and I have games on probably the West Coast games, or if I'm watching a a highlight show, sometimes I'll have condensed games being sent to me and I'll already start to get my work done for the next day. But what I'm really doing is I'm just sitting there and kind of soaking in and reflecting on what has been witnessed that day and what I'm doing there. And it's my favorite time of the week because it's still peaceful. It's before a long drive or a flight home. I mean, you, you got the most incredible lounge in the world. It's a huge empty stadium. And you're kind of sitting there, you hear the mowers going, uh, there's some folding chair sounds elsewhere in the stadium. It's just a cleanup crew starting to do their job. After you've been exposed to that noise for four or five hours, and then you've had the press setting and you've had a lot of hectic nature of what it's like trying to gather elements in post game, and then you just sit in silence. I love that time. I love that time. It doesn't last forever, but I love that time. I remember when Georgia went up to play Notre Dame a couple of years ago, I think it was 2017, it was the first time I had been to Notre Dame Stadium. It's the only time I've been there so far. That may change this year. But that game ended at night. And so we went to Brian Kelly's press conference, caught some of Kirby's press conference. But then I did something that I didn't know if I was ever going to have the opportunity to do again. I just went out in the stands at Notre Dame Stadium and just hung out for a little while. And I listened to you know the leaf blowers off in the distance. They kind of echo throughout the stadium because it's empty. And otherwise, it's totally quiet. I mean, you're on everything from one of the most famous gridirons in America to one of the most famous movie sets in America. I supremely respect the tradition of this sport. So those moments where you can just sit there in peace after a big game that you've been blessed to cover, not only be a part of, but cover, uh, that's my favorite elements that I guess you don't get to see, Richard. All righty, that was a good one. Moving it right along here. But first... we going? We're going out west here. Logan asks, are you as surprised as I am that there were five Pac-12 teams in the AP Top 25? Just curious if you think that says anything for the conference and their national recognition. Well, the first thing I have to do, Logan, and I apologize, 
is I have to actually pull up the AP poll because I can't in good conscience tell you I've looked at it today. I did do a radio hit with Nate Brown in Rapid City. Yes, I do appearances in South Dakota, and I glanced at it, but I really haven't looked in the context of the Pac-12. And instead of doing the responsible thing and pausing, here I am steadily killing time as I try and pull it up. And we got it. Okay. Uh, So who are these teams? Well, we've got Oregon at 11. We have got USC at 15. Got Washington 20. We got, okay, I see. So Utah and Arizona crept in there at 24, 25. No, this doesn't surprise me. I can tell you right off the top of my head, I'm going to have Utah way higher ranked than the AP does. Arizona State, I don't think I'll have ranked. But no, this doesn't surprise me. Here's the deal. And I would agree with this if someone said it. There are good teams in the Pac-12. It's just the question is, do you have any great teams for me? Because there are good teams in the SEC too, but you got at least one great team, if not more than one great team. Uh, Ditto maybe for the ACC. In fact, maybe there aren't as many good teams. Now this year, I think there will be. But any given year, you could argue there are less than five great teams or good teams in the ACC, but they got a great one. And so it kind of cancels all that out. The national perception, no, I don't think it really changes anything. I think the national perception has been for a little while about that conference. And again, this is something I agree with. It's a good, solid conference. I like watching Pac-12 football. I mean, you guys, a lot of you, according to our metrics, don't love it as much, but that's only because you don't have a rock star program out there like Southern Cal was back in the early to mid-2000s. But no, I don't think five in the top 25 changes anything. Notice the important follow-up there is zero in the top 10. That's the important follow-up. I think we had one more question. Yeah, Carter asked, How much does an AP ranking impact the playoff ranking? Well, in one way, none. And in another way, yes, it does. Let me give you a perfect example. The College Football Playoff Committee's first rankings, I think, are going to be released November 2nd this year, week eight, nine, whenever that is. And they would tell you, well, that's the only poll that matters. And we meet ourselves. We confer amongst ourselves. There is no outside influence that really matters. Now, as long as there are human beings on that committee, there are outside influences that matter. Let's not kid ourselves. I'm the guy over here who says, I think the committee's gotten it right every year in terms of the final four. But even I understand, even I'm not too stupid to realize, yeah, they get impacted and they get influenced. With that in mind, do I think the AP influences? I don't think it influences quite in the way a lot of people may be alleging. I think a lot of people may be alleging, well, if you start off in the top five, you're a power five, then you get benefit of the doubt until you're knocked out. I think that's going to happen anyway. The, the fact of the matter is, whether Ohio State starts fourth or 14th this year, they're going to the playoff. If they got one loss or fewer, in all likelihood, I would, I would bet a lot of money on that. That's not where it matters so much. Where it matters is this number eight team I'm looking at right now, the Cincinnati Bearcats. I have spoken about this last week. I'm not going to go fully down that road again, but you know my thoughts here. My thoughts are that's the G5 team that's got a shot. For the first time, that's the G5 team that's got a shot. Here's where rubber meets road. If I'm a committee member and I'm a committee member of the past, let's say, whether you're a Central Florida or you're a Cincinnati, you have come onto my radar screen long after the season began. I've watched the games just like everyone else has, wire to wire, but it wasn't until the midpoint of the season where I start hearing this, this, hear that? That's a faint drumbeat off in the distance. It's a Central Florida or Cincinnati drumbeat. And it's not until midseason where people start to ask, hey, if this team goes undefeated, then what? That's not the case this year. We got Cincinnati starting in the top 10. It's August and we're talking about them. 
So the committee sees that. They don't hide in a rock. They don't hibernate under a rock, I guess I should say. They don't hibernate. They're out there. They're reading newspapers and preview magazines and looking at Twitter, and they're doing all the stuff you and I are doing. Yes, this matters. It matters for Cincinnati way more than it matters for Texas A&M. I can promise you that. Cincinnati being in the top 10 right now absolutely matters. So to that degree, yes, I think the AP poll does matter. Gunner up next. Who are the likely biggest risers for the upcoming season? Low expectation team, but in good position to make great gains. Well, it's got to be Ole Miss for me. Ole Miss is not ranked in the AP. Uh, There are a few certainties in this world, but I can promise you one of them. Unless we have a devastating breaking news injury type situation at Ole Miss this week, they're going to they're going to start the season ranked in the JP poll, not the AP, but the JP poll. A lot of you are unfamiliar, by the way, with what the JP poll is. That is our own internal power rating that I release for you every week. I don't know if we're going to go 1 through 10 or 1 through 25 this year, but I release it for you. And that essentially has a pure Vegas theme to it. I could not care less about your record on this. I am strictly measuring you based off whomst I would favor against whomst on a neutral field. And that's it. It's not a revolutionary concept, but it does bring into the equation power rating instead of a simple merit-based ranking system because you won a game, I got to move you up. Because you lost a game, I got to move you down. I don't really believe in that. So yeah, give me Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss, I have very little doubt in my mind. After they win in week one, which I think they will, I think they will be ranked in the top 25. Oh, you know what I forgot to do? (laughs) My apologies. I'm so sorry. Hold on a second. I don't want to rob you guys of what you really came here for. And there we go. Okay. You can tell that one was legit because um, the top of the guitar choked off my vocal cords there and altered my voice. Let's go with Zach. What's my favorite tailgating spot? Pretty simple answer here, Zach. I have no clue because I've never really been able to do it uh, because back in the day before I was in media, couldn't afford to go to many games. And now that I can go to games, I'm doing it in an official capacity which means as you guys are out there outside the stadium doing that, I'm largely inside. I can tell you the scenes that I've walked through, and it's limited because I've largely covered games in the SEC and, you know, Clemson, Florida State, so mainly places in the South. So I have not been able to experience the game days of a lot of these other places. I have no doubt that I would just have my jaw dropped the moment I'm able to cover games at Michigan or games at Uh, Penn State or a game up at Oregon. I've mentioned this before already on this podcast. And some of the different areas that you may not readily identify with elite game day atmospheres, well, they exist in more places than just the big places. Because you know what? Everyone's proud of their alma mater and everyone's proud of the team they grew up rooting for. It doesn't matter if your stadium seats 110,000 or 45,000. But I can tell you the places I've been, it's incredible to walk through these places in the South because they show up Wednesday and Thursday. In many cases, they show up Wednesday and Thursday. And that's just been life where I'm from. That, that was normal to me. And I had a cousin that came down one time and talked about how weird that was. And this was someone who was fairly adept at college football, but didn't really understand that's quite how it worked here. But yeah, I mean, you walk through LSU, you walk through Ole Miss, you walk through Tennessee. All these places are incredible. I haven't been to a place that wasn't incredible from a tailgating scene. But again, I got to get to different places around the country before I can start to make any kind of comprehensive list. I can't in good conscience do that. If I haven't been to Wisconsin, for example, I can't tell you definitively what I think. I haven't been able to go to Ohio State, haven't been able to go to Oklahoma, haven't been able to do it. So until then, it is a to be determined for me on this one. Oh, man, really nasty sounding. 
pretty disappointed in my finger strength. Obviously, I cannot get that thing all the way down on the fret. It's almost like I haven't uh, touched a guitar in like five years, aside from doing this podcast. Here, let's rattle some of these off because I got a ton of submissions here. John John, thoughts about Trey Sanders and how he may have a big impact this year filling in for Najee Harris. Uh, this is an Alabama running back. For those of you unfamiliar, he was a five-star running back a couple of cycles ago, number one in the country. And I, I'll be honest with you, I did not have high expectations. When you miss almost two full seasons with injury, especially if it's lower extremity in nature and you're a running back, I just I set my bar low and hope you surpass it. And it sounds like Trey Sanders is more than surpassing it. I think he's going to be in the rotation heavily for Alabama this fall. He can receive the ball. He is a good pass catcher out of the backfield. That's why it's so important. I mean, he's a stud as a running back, but they need the versatility. That's what that kind of offense they run at Alabama now calls for out of the tailback position. As long as they can trust him in pass pro, I think he's going to heavily factor into the rotation there. Gordon, next. What will LSU do this year? Are they going to slide further downhill or prove last year was a total fluke? Well, Gordon, I don't know. I don't think they're going to repeat last year, so let me ease those concerns. I certainly don't think they're going to be as bad as they were last year. Some things have to come together. This offensive line situation has to work itself out. I think they've got the kind of secondary that can change games for them. I think that it largely comes down offensively to how effective their running game is, and I would be lying to you if I said I had a ton of confidence right now that John Emery and or Ty Davis Price are just going to explode onto the scene. You give me above average tailback years by SEC standards for those guys, just above average, much less anything surpassing that, and I'd feel better. Uh, But I don't know that we're going to get that yet. They love their young receivers right now. They've got a really good mixture of experience, different skill sets at receiver. Uh, They've got Keishon Boutte, who is by all accounts a bona fide All-American caliber guy they can count on this year by all accounts. I mean, we've seen him, so it's not like he's a mystery guy. But I don't think they're going to slide further downhill. It's just how high uphill, how high up the hill, I guess, can they climb. Uh, that is where I'm getting close, but I'm not ready to, to put out a firm prediction on LSU quite yet. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. What about Isaac? Which Big Ten quarterback are you higher on than the national consensus? Um, You know what? Give me Spencer Petras at Iowa. He's a second-year starter this year. Really big kid. I mean, physically he's developed. I, I don't think a lot is expected of him. We're talking about national consensus here. I don't hear Spencer Petras' name mentioned a whole lot. I mean, I think he'll be more than serviceable for Iowa this year. I think he can have them contending in every game on their schedule. So I'll go with Mr. Spencer Petrus. We got a question about road trips coming up, and I got a good one for you. It's going to make you tired just listening to it. We'll talk about it right after this. And how do you know we're back? That lets you know we're back. Let's talk about road trips. Quiet guitar. Let's talk about road trips here. Trevor hits us with the following. He says, what is the longest road trip you have ever taken related to college football? Believe it or not, 
I already mentioned it in this very podcast. So statute of limitations has passed enough on this. I can give you the story. I was at WLTZ down in Columbus, Georgia. I am the sports director at the time at the station. So I'm covering games every week anyway, but I'm also starting to do what eventually becomes late kick. At the time, we called it football nightly down south, but I'm about to be doing late kick. Same format. We did it the same time every week. So here's what I did. I got myself, one of our meteorologists, initials DB, and one of our lowly minion PAs, who will be discussed more at length momentarily, uh, initials TR. And I said, if y'all can help drive, I'll get you credentialed. We got credentialed. And so we are all headed to Notre Dame. It's going to be Georgia at Notre Dame. Here is the schedule. The game was a Saturday night, 7.30 Eastern time kickoff. On Friday night in the local news world in the South, you are covering high school football. I also anchored our Friday night high school football show. So we get off air for that show at 11.34 p.m. I know the exact out time, 11.34.30. And so we gather up all the equipment, go home, get about three and a half hours worth of sleep. We get on the road from Columbus, Georgia. I said road, not to the airport either. We drive from Columbus, Georgia, which is an hour south of Atlanta, to South Bend, Indiana, which for our purposes growing up in the South is essentially Canada. That is a 12-hour drive if you don't stop anywhere, not on game day. So factor in game day traffic, it was a little bit longer. We're going to call it 12 and a half hours. We leave at 4 a.m. We get up there somewhere around 5 in the afternoon, Eastern time, of course, right in time for us to get credentialed and get in there before gates open. We cover the game. Awesome. A huge Georgia contingent up there. Could not have enjoyed our experience with Notre Dame any more than we did. Awesome setting, incredible atmosphere. Uh, one of my favorite experiences to this point in all of covering college football. So just love everything about the Notre Dame experience. So then after the game, I've got a show to do the next night. I, we are less than 24 hours away from a show. We have not slept. All right, so here we go. We get back on the road around probably mid, probably 1 a.m. Eastern time. We get back on the road. We drive the entire night. We do not stop. It is a straight up and back, and we get back in sometime around lunch. We try and take a couple hours nap. Well, at least they do. I can't because I've got an entire show to put together. So we put the show together. We do late kick, or at the time, football nightly down south. We do it that night. And when I tell you I did not come out of my room the entire Monday, I did not come out of my room the entire Monday. I've never slept harder. It was as if someone crushed up an entire bottle of Tylenol PM and put him in my yogurt. And I just, I just scooped it down. But an awesome trip. Would not have traded it for the world. Would love to have had airfare. I sure would have loved to get in our little travel portal we have now and just say, all right, book me a flight. We're good. That wasn't the way it worked back then, but I was not complaining. Because I had watched those games on TV a long time. I wanted to be there, and we got to be there. I've got a picture, actually, that I will probably share now that I think about it. Because I got several pictures and videos I took from that game. Boy, we got some really good questions. I'm going to bump these to Thursday. I mean, we got several good ones. And Megan, let me just give you an idea of what we've got waiting for us Thursday. If the AP Top 5 were types of weather, what would the teams be? That is a glorious question that I'm not going to shoehorn into the end here. i got to get in a good place mentally. Got to give it some time, got to marinate on it. I will have very, very well thought out, scientifically sound, but also entertaining answers for you, Megan. And everyone else will be in tow too. Hey, make sure you're doing me a favor here. This is the only favor I ask. This is the way we keep the show free. 
Five-star reviews for this podcast, that's how we keep the show free. Follow on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. And here's what really helps. I was talking to someone, actually one of you. I was talking to one of you on the phone today about different ways that we present the show. Because I'm in a bubble sometimes. So I always appreciate your feedback. It's our show. So you got to give me some feedback sometimes. And I'll tell you what someone told me today that did not occur to me. It did not occur to me that I don't tell you or the public enough where the show is and when it airs. Well, I just assume everyone knows. Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central live on the YouTube channel. And then you get a podcast product here every day, Monday through Friday. I I just assumed everyone knew that. Sometimes people don't. So that feedback really helped. It also helped for someone to tell me, hey, you do not ask people to sub to the YouTube channel enough. You need to ask more often. That's why 72% of our current viewers are not subbed, which is kind of mind boggling if you think about it, because again, the show is free and it takes nothing to subscribe. It's not like we're sending you junk mail or we're blowing up your phone if you do it. So uh, my humble request here as we continue to grow the numbers here too, is make sure you're subbed to the podcast, which I'm guessing you are, and sub to the YouTube channel. That helps us. It doesn't change anything on your end. It helps us a whole lot. It helps us to go to management and say, see, we told you, look. Now give us some money. I don't know if that last part's going to work, but that's the way it operates. And lastly, Twitter and Instagram. Remember, if I haven't told you five times, at Late Kick Josh. That's a very important thing, too. We got a lot of stuff coming. It's coming very quickly because the season's coming very quickly. I got to get this sent off to producer Jordan. And unlike most of the time where I go about the rest of my day, I get to go to sleep now. Thank you for joining. Thank you for making the show possible. From me and all of us to you, have a great rest of your day and God bless.